Siobhan McLaughlin seemed to have it all. A healthy marriage, supportive husband, a glamorous lifestyle, a three-year-old son who she adored, an estimated €1 million Euro house in a well-respected South Dublin residential area and owned a small luxurious hotel in Mallorca, Spain with her husband as well. There was nothing that could go wrong. However, on the 28th of February 2006, Neve McLaughlin drove to her sister's driveway for her daily casual visit. She was leaving her car there as she had started a new job with a local firm. She kept knocking and knocking, but not a peep from anybody. Her mind was growing worried, so she let herself in with her own key. She saw her three-year-old nephew left on his own. He was beginning to get stressed out, looking for his mother. Neve called out for her sister upstairs. Still, there was silence. She tried to look through the keyhole of her sister's bedroom. She tried forcing the handle, but it was locked. Panicking, she rang her parents. As soon as they arrived, Siobhan's father burst through the bedroom door and found his daughter lying on the floor near the ensuite bathroom, cold to the touch. A cord was found wrapped around her body. Distraught as the family were, emergency services were called. Was this murder or suicide? And if murder, who would be incriminated? Siobhan's career with her husband was booming. He himself ran his own family business an electrician business named Associated Electrics Limited. Though the couple had an uneasy start, at first they were engaged for a time in 1995, but they separated for a few years. They then reconciled and married in the year 2002 and welcomed their son into the world six months later. Husband Brian Kearney was a well-known successful electrician, as I was saying, and also had a main role in the family business called Bambrick's Grocery Limited in Bray, County Wicklow. Siobhan herself was a gifted chef. She trained in the established five-star Shelburne Hotel in Dublin city centre. She had her own food catering business as well and after their son was born, she began to search for ways to make a living for herself and to have more financial support and independence for the family. A little while after they got married, they acquired a quaint luxury hotel called Salvia in a hideaway village of Solar on the north coast of Mallorca. 
The hotel launched in March 2003 after a lot of renovation work. They were looking for a more relaxed lifestyle after working hard for many years. Siobhan had spent her summers at the hotel wearing her son mainly alone while Brian was working in Ireland. And then she would come back home to Ireland when the holiday season had ended. She was quoted saying, I have a young baby and I didn't want to bring him up in Dublin. The weather, the traffic, the hectic pace of life and a lack of real community made my mind up. We had been enjoying holidays in Italy for years and always dreamt of living in the Mediterranean and saw no reason to leave it until retirement age when we would be too old to enjoy it. Nearly everyone thought that they had the best marriage and the most lavish lifestyle, the Celtic Tiger's dream. However, behind closed doors, it was a very different story. Associated Electrics Limited, owned by Brian, was profiting at around 2.1 million euro in 2005. This was reduced to 1.8 million euro in 2006, but it still managed to gain 2.27 million euro in profit. All of Brian's assets were priced at around 5 million euro, if not a little more. He was beginning to face tough financial difficulties to try to pay 15,300 euro a month in mortgage repayments. This was for the hotel and a house he was building next door to the family home in Dublin to be let out to tenants in the future. He was reportedly earning a yearly 118,586 euro. But with pending mortgages on several properties that he had, the bank had alerted him and warned him that he had to cut back on his borrowings. This was very common for the Celtic Tiger era, owning lots of property but having very little cash on hand to show for it. A few people that knew Carney thought that he was not a nice person and quite cold in fact, even before the financial pressures took a hold of him. Siobhan's mother, Deirdre McLaughlin, has spoken on how she has always suspected something was not right with the man her daughter ended up marrying. Quote, I saw the warning signs. I saw the temper he had. He had a coldness. He was not a nice guy you could just sit and have a conversation with. He was all work, work, work. She was a hard worker as well, but she was kind, loving, a beautiful person inside and out, she added. She also said that she brought him home to meet me after a while and I knew there was something wrong. There was an icy coldness in the room when he entered it. He sucked all the warmth, all the laughter out of a room and I warned Siobhan but she saw something in him. The financial stress eventually took an emotional toll on the marriage over a period of time and it was hitting a wall. Siobhan was definitely dissatisfied with the marriage and was growing tired of it so she decided enough was enough. Bridget McLaughlin, a sister of Siobhan's, 
said her sister visited her on the evening of February the 6th, some weeks before her death. She said she looked tired, but she was in good spirits. Bridget was an artist who had worked for the Sunday Independent newspaper before. Bridget said that she had a knowledge that Siobhan had been having problems in her marriage. She then passed her on to a solicitor she knew through her work as a journalist before. After this visit, Siobhan called to the local Citizens Advice Centre on the 27th of February 2006. This was to seek legal advice about divorcing Brian. She asked for an early appointment, but the best they could do was March the 9th. It was advised that Siobhan keep a diary for the ongoing separation, to record her turbulent relationship with her husband. She hid it in the hot press or an airing cupboard with a passport and a 500 euro note. On the next day, February the 28th, it was also Brian's birthday, he woke up earlier than usual and went to work at Kelleher's Electrical Sandyford in Dublin. It was the time between 7.30am and 8am. On any other given day, it would have been around 8.30 and 9am when he went to work. Continuing with the morning, Siobhan's sister Neve decided to stop over for a visit. In Neve's testimony at the trial, she recollected to the prosecution that she had been leaving her car with Siobhan since she started her new job as a receptionist in Ernst & Young in November 2005. Normally, she would turn up at around 9am, but on the morning of Tuesday, February the 28th, 2006, she was late waking up. Quote, I was just doing a lot of running around, I was tired and I slept it out. Eventually, she went to Siobhan's at around 9.35am and entered the house with her own key. Her three-year-old nephew was walking around the house on his own. Worried about her sister, she walked upstairs to see if she was there. Quote, I went upstairs and knocked at the door. There was no answer, so Neve peeped through the keyhole. She also said to the defence team that she was sure there had been no key found for the bedroom. She could get no reply from Siobhan, so she phoned her parents immediately and urgently. Mrs Deirdre McLaughlin, Siobhan's mother, told Mr Dominic McGinn, also prosecuting, that she and her husband arrived at Siobhan's house at around quarter past ten in the morning. Her husband walked upstairs and came back down shortly after, saying that Siobhan was dead and inconsolable. Mrs McLaughlin said Neve went to ring the emergency services immediately. She said, she rang the emergency services, then got a little bit stressed, so I took the phone off her. She then rang Brian Carney to let him know what the situation was. She told Mr Gageby that the conversation was very short, no more than 15 or 16 seconds. She was very adamant that she did not end the conversation herself, saying, the reason I didn't say any more was because the child was crying in the background. She said when Mr Carney arrived at the crime scene, he told her we were going to be together forever.
agreed that she had spoken to the paramedics at the scene, saying, I said maybe she had taken medication, I didn't know. She also agreed that Siobhan had been admitted to St John of God's Hospital in the year 1999. She said she had just had a little bit of a breakdown just over five days, then she was back at work. Mr Gageby asked her if she knew what had caused it, and Mrs McLaughlin said it was overwork, no doubt about it. Mr O. McLaughlin, Siobhan's father, told Mr Vaughan Buckley that he went up to his daughter's room, and he shouted Siobhan's name three or four times very loud, but got no response, saying, I put my shoulder to the door and I ran at it with my shoulder, and I used my feet and I broke down the door. Mr McLaughlin said he went into the room and saw his daughter lying on the floor near the ensuite bathroom, saying, I went over to Siobhan and I put a hand to her forearm and it was very cold. I put a hand on her leg and it was cold as well. I knew she was dead. He brought Siobhan's young boy over to Mr Carney's parents with Neve, and when they arrived, Mr Carney was there. He went to Mr Carney and told him what had happened saying his response was he put his hands to his head and he turned back to me and he said to the words to the effect of oh my god later on mr mclaughlin said he saw mr carney in the house with his sister standing behind him rubbing his shoulders a doctor came into the room saying he said doctor my heart is jumping out of my chest but mr mclaughlin said to my mind there wasn't any emotion Mr Vaughan Buckley asked Mr McLaughlin if Mr Carney was crying and he said no, definitely not. Mr McLaughlin told Mr Gageby in the court that he had not moved the body or removed anything from around Siobhan's neck. When Siobhan's sister Bridget was on the way over they received a call telling them that their sister had passed away, saying it was totally shocking. Bridget agreed with Mr Vaughan Buckley that they were so upset at the news that they got lost and were delayed at arriving at the Kearney's residence. When they arrived, the ambulance crew had arrived, as had members of both families. Quote, Brian Kearney was also there sitting down, Bridget said. I said hello and he came up to me saying, poor you Bridget and all that's happened to you and Michael. Bridget told the court that her husband Michael had died before in July the 4th 2003 saying I thought it was a very odd thing to say extremely odd it put me back she also said he sat down and hyperventilated then but it was still very strange behavior she also told the court that she had been surprised to receive a phone call from Mr Carney back in 2005 saying he told me Siobhan wasn't well and that she was going into St John of God's she said when she phoned her sister afterward that Siobhan was appalled by this. She said, I rang her immediately and she said she never had any intention of going into St John of God's. She was absolutely fine. Bridget said that she was aware that her sister had been admitted into St John of God's in 1999, but the reason was stress from living with Brian. She told Mr Vaughan Buckley that several days after Siobhan's death, she went to see Brian with her sister Neve. Quote, Brian Carney unlocked three locks and let her in. He was very cold. She asked what had happened to Siobhan 
and his answer was cardiac arrest or strangulation. That was his reply, she said. I'll never forget it. She told Mr Gageby in cross-examination that she could not be any more specific about when Mr Carney rang her in 2005, saying, I've had a lot of my life going on back then. In his opening speech to the jury, Mr Vaughan Buckley told them that the prosecution's case was that Siobhan Carney had died from strangulation that had been made to look like suicide. He told the jury that the case before them was based on circumstantial evidence. They would hear from experts who would tell them that the vacuum cleaner cord found wrapped around the body could not have borne her weight for long enough. More specific evidence also concluded that Dr Marie Cassidy, Ireland state pathologist, gave ligature strangulation as the cause of death of Siobhan Kearney. She also gave evidence that the time of death was within three hours before or after 9am on that morning. The deceased was 5 foot 3 in height, slim build and weighed 45kg. A close friend of the victim gave evidence that on the evening of the 27th of February, Siobhan had dinner in her apartment. Also with them there was her partner Julian and the son of the victim. She described Siobhan was in very good form and they spent the time chatting about the school her son would go to. Also before the incident, a local hair salon manager gave evidence that Siobhan rang to make an appointment for her hair at 10.30am on Tuesday the 28th of February 2006. This phone call was made on the 27th of February. The secretary of her school's son told the court that Siobhan had requested a place in the school for her son, hoping to start there in September. She had a conversation with the deceased on the 13th of February about this matter. The local sergeant gave evidence that he was a friend of the McLaughlin family for many years. He had gone to the victim's house just before noon on the 28th of February 2006. He met with the accused and told him that detectives would like to speak with him upstairs. The witness described how the accused got out of a chair and walked towards him saying, Charlie, will I be able to go through with it? Will I be fit enough to go through with it? After a while, Brian Carney asked the sergeant if he could leave and also inquired if the detectives would want his clothing. The sergeant was taken aback by this question and transferred what had been said onto his colleague. The sergeant, Michael Gibbons, also gave evidence that on entering the bedroom where the body was found, he noticed that a key was lying on the floor inside the door. There was no door saddle for the door and there was enough room for the key to be slid under the door. He also gave evidence of speaking with Mr Carney who had confirmed to him that Siobhan had been out the previous evening with their friend and had taken their son with her. She had returned at about 9pm and went upstairs. The accused told the sergeant that she had spoken to her for a short time before she went to the attic room where she would be sending work emails. He then put their son to bed. He stated that he and the boy slept in one room and Siobhan slept in another room where her body was found, he told the sergeant. That he got up at around 7am on the morning of his wife's death and he then gave breakfast to his son. 
He had his own breakfast, then came upstairs, brushed his teeth and tried to open Siobhan's bedroom door. Unusually, the door was locked and he got no answer. He also told the sergeant that he left for work at about 7.50am. Having gone downstairs following this conversation exchange, the accused came back upstairs and inquired of the sergeant whether or not the guardie wanted his clothes. On being informed that they did, the accused asked for a specific jumper or jeans and a top from the clothes in the back room. The guarder decided not to give him the clothes that he asked for and there did not appear to be much clothing available anyway and they said they would get the clothes he was wearing later. The sergeant gave evidence that when he later went to the house in where the county's parents lived at about 11.30pm the same day, he was informed by the accused mother that she had washed all his clothing. Brian's mother brought the guardie out to the garage, took Carney's clothes from the washing line and gave them to the sergeant. He also gave evidence that on the morning of Wednesday the 1st of March 2006 that the accused provided a witness statement and was admitted into evidence. The accused said the last time I was in that room prior to going in there with Siobhan was about 7 o'clock the previous evening, the 28th of February. I've just had a quick shower in the ensuite bathroom and then I went to bed. Brian Kearney was then arrested on the 2nd of March 2006 for the murder of his wife. Miss Tony Massey gave evidence on Brian's financial position. The forensic accountant said in her opinion, the accused and the deceased needed to sell an asset to relieve the €850,000 that they had borrowed on the family home to build the house and the garden. The accused would have needed the deceased's consent to sell one of the properties or the house in the garden. The victim had sent a friendly and chatty email to a friend before retiring to bed. Carney denied the murder throughout the whole trial. His defence was wholly centred around Siobhan committing suicide, but evidence on the locked door suggests it had been locked from the outside and the key pushed under the door to assume it had been locked from the inside. Crime scene analysis also concluded that with Siobhan's exact weight applied to the flex with the electrical cord that it broke off after five seconds, even with her lighter weight, it still broke off. Prosecutor Barrister Dennis Vaughan Buckley stated that Siobhan's plan to divorce and move into another house on the adjacent site to the family home did not suit Carney's financial plans, saying, The separation would not suit him financially. In fact, it would increase the pressure on him, he said. Therefore, his only solution was to kill his wife. After five and a half hours of deliberation, a jury found Brian Carney guilty of murdering his wife by a majority verdict of 11 to 1. Brian Kearney of course appealed for his conviction but this time did not use suicide as the cause of Siobhan's death, instead using an intruder for the cause. Judge Nicholas Cairns of the Criminal Court of Appeal wrote that the three judges were being invited to believe without any evidence to support it that Siobhan Kearney was killed by an intruder stating, this possibility, measured in the context of all the evidence that was given, is so remote and unlikely as to be off the scale of either probability or possibility, he concluded. 
When Carney's company, Associated Electrics Limited, was voluntarily dissolved, it had assets of 4.4 million euro, including 636,000 euro cash in the bank. 2.1 million euro was also in freehold property and 1.5 million euro in leasehold property. He is now serving a life sentence for the murder of Siobhan. Since the sentencing, Brian Carney has had an application for parole refused. This is the second time Carney has been denied by the parole board. However, the board has recommended he be considered for neutral venue visits with his family. This would involve visits with relatives outside of the prison to aid re-socialisation and reintegration. The board also recommended Carney, now 61, continues to engage with various therapeutic services available to him in Wheatfield Prison. Further details came out in a letter from the parole board to Siobhan's family, who have obviously objected to Carney's obtaining a secure release from prison. Bridget McLaughlin spoke on the Claire Burns show on RTE to speak about how the parole board are very lenient on these issues and want change in these laws. I mean, it's like a Stephen King horror novel, the pain that we have among us. I mean, we are talking here about, I'm, I'm not cutting my words tonight, we are, everybody that has caused the pain in our life for the legacy of generations, they are evil, sociopathic bastards. And I don't use bad language very often. You have to be real here. What they have done, did you see all the photographs on the screen? Children, strangulation, horrendous violence acts. And these people are not being held responsible. I mean, we, we will never know when Brian Carney is released. The only reason I came on tonight was to make sure that he sees me here tonight with my sister. And I'm sure everybody else feels the same. We're hoping that in the prison tonight, they are watching our pain because we will let, not let them out of our minds. And we will fight to a proper judicial review is done of the voluntary life sentence. Siobhan was only aged 38 when she was murdered. Her sister, Bridget, said she was not surprised by the decision of the board not to recommend parole. However, she was surprised that consideration of outside visits with his family had been recommended at this stage of his sentence. She said it was also sickening to learn that Kearney was doing a first aid course in prison considering the circumstances of the murder saying, he is a murderer and he coldly and clinically executed Siobhan in her bedroom and destroyed our whole family. She said, with Siobhan's premeditated violent death, we have suffered the absolute breakdown of social rules and norms. 
It is a known fact that parole laws in Ireland go more against the victims and are more for the accused. There is a sense of injustice here, and a lot of families are fighting for these parole laws to be changed. Siobhan's sister Ashleen said a huge legal restructuring was imminently needed in sentencing, and there is no coherent understanding as to what a life sentence is in this country. It certainly garners a lot of weight at the time when you are told someone has a life sentence and then families are kept quiet for a while. But these guys are going to have an opportunity to go out again, to have a beer again, to enjoy life again, to walk among society again, when they have absolutely no right to be there, Ashin continued. Remembering Siobhan, her sister said, We are such a close family. Some families see each other three times a year. We see each other every day. We see each other more than most families, so therefore the loss is even greater. We were addicted to her presence and her crack and her wit. She would be cooking every day and I would be cooking with her. We would be swapping recipes and we would be dropping all the goodies that we had cooked to family and friends every day. She was a lady first of all, extremely elegant. She was beautiful yet had no awareness of it. this episode thank you very much and we will be back in a couple of weeks with a new episode if you have any questions or requests just email incriminatedpod at yahoo.com 
or follow us on Incriminated Pod on Twitter and on Instagram. Thank you. This is your host, Francesca. I will be adding all the references to the details of the episode and the music was from Muvavi Video Editor Plus and distributed by Acast.